0: Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on February 5th, 2017 on the basis of Matthew 5, verses 13 through 20. So does faith make the world a better place? That question sometimes comes up in discussions or even debates between people who believe in God and people who do not, people who have faith and people who do not. And, of course, the person of faith will be very quick to say, well, of course it does. Because without faith in God, a person doesn't really have any reason or incentive to be good. But the person without faith might just as quickly respond, well, that's nonsense. Being good, being kind to others, doesn't in any way depend on having faith in God. In fact, if you look at history, you can find all kinds of examples where belief in some sort of God actually caused people to act in horrible ways horrible ways? Does faith make the world a better place? Might I suggest at the outset that that question is a little bit of a distraction in the discussion of whether or not God really exists. I mean, if God really exists, then who cares if faith in him makes the world a better place? If God really exists, then then we, we ought to know him and believe in him. That's probably a pretty important thing. But recently I came across a scenario that someone used to sort of present that same question in a very concrete way. Imagine that you are visiting a strange, unfamiliar city, and just as day is turning into night, you are walking down the street by yourself. All of a sudden, you see a group of 10 young, well-built men walking in your direction. situation that, that might cause a lot of us to instantly be a little bit nervous. So the question is, would you feel more safe, or would you feel less safe, If you knew that those ten men had just walked out of a prayer meeting or a Bible class or a worship service or any other sort of religious gathering, would faith make you feel more safe or less safe? Does faith make the world a better place? I'll let you chew on that one for a little bit. The reason I ask the question in the first place is because that's the very question that Jesus is addressing in the words from the Sermon on the Mount that we'll be looking at today. We started looking at that sermon two weeks ago in the opening verses that are sometimes referred to as the Beatitudes. And in those verses, Jesus' focus really was on the impact that his kingdom has on its citizens. In other words, on the people who are on the inside. But now in these verses, Jesus shifts his emphasis and his focus is now on the impact that his kingdom has on the world. In other words, on the people On the outside. So as we look at these verses, we'll we'll not only get an answer to that question that sort of satisfies that that intellectual inquiry, but maybe even more importantly, we will find out how Jesus expects to live as citizens of his kingdom who also live in the world. We'll find out the impact and the effect that the citizens of the kingdom of God have on the world around them. Now realize that as, as Jesus shifts emphasis from one topic. To the next. The very last thing that he had said, the words that were still ringing in the ears of his audience, probably made them all a bit nervous. That very last beatitude, that very last blessing, Jesus had said this Blessed are you when, notice not if, but when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, what kind of effect are the citizens of the kingdom of God going to have on the world around them? Well, Jesus makes it very clear that as we share the message of Christ, the world is going to have a very negative and sometimes even hostile reaction to it. As we share this message that we call the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the world's one and only Savior. The world around us will be repulsed. Just as they did when the prophets shared that message, just as they were when Jesus himself shared that message, so also when we share that message, Jesus promises that the world will always find the gospel itself appalling. Now, the temptation for followers of Jesus is to turn around and instantly assume sort of an adversarial posture toward the world. If the world is going to be repulsed by the gospel, then our our reflexes might tell us to either retaliate or retreat, to fight back or to flee. And yet Jesus tells us that he wants us to do neither one. Instead, he tells us how we are to live in this world with two striking metaphors. He says, You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Now with both of those metaphors, Jesus is really teaching us two important lessons. First of all, both salt and light bring benefit to people. Back in Jesus' day, salt was used as a preservative. So if you had this this thick, juicy filet mignon that you wanted to throw on the grill this coming Friday, you couldn't just throw it in the freezer until then. They didn't have freezers back then. You, You used salt. Salt was a very important preservative for things like meat. In the same way, light also brought benefit to people in Jesus' day. You can imagine in an age without electricity just how important light was. Light kept people safe as they moved around in the darkness. Light serves as a deterrent for people who would do us harm. That's why stores, kind of like ours, leave their lights on at night, even when no one is there. Light enables us to be productive and to do work, not only when the sun is up but also when the sun is down. Both salt and light bring benefit to people. And secondly, both salt and light are pleasing to people. Salt isn't just used as a preservative. It's also used as seasoning, right? People put salt on food to make it taste better. That thick, juicy filet mignon, after you throw it on the grill, you're going to put a little bit of salt on it, right? In the same way, light doesn't just have practical effects. It also has pleasing effects. This weekend, as part of Mount Horeb's Winter Winterfest, I think there's been like three or four different bonfires held in and around town. I think there was one out at Tyrell Basin, one out at Blue Mound State Park, one over at the golf course. And if you were at any of those or, or have ever been to a bonfire, you know the way that a fire has a way of drawing a crowd, right? It draws people in. And that's not just true when it's cold outside because the same, things ha- the same thing happens at the campground in the summer when it's warm, right? The light of the fire has a way of drawing people in. So both salt and light bring benefit to people. Both salt and light are pleasing to people. And Jesus is teaching us that as we live as citizens of his kingdom in the world, we will have that effect. That as we put into practice the values that he teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, as we show things like meekness and humility and generosity toward others, those things will, first of all, bring a benefit to people. And then secondly, People will turn around and, and they will be drawn to those things because of those blessings, as we put those values into practice, people will be attracted to those kinds of things. in other words, Jesus is teaching us that that yes, the world will always be appalled by the gospel itself, but at the very time, at the very same time he promises us that people will also find the effects of the gospel, the things that we do as a result of the gospel, the world will find those things to be very appealing. So does faith make the world a better place? Based on Jesus' words, the answer might seem a bit obvious. But I wanted to go back to that scenario that I mentioned before. You're walking by yourself in a strange city at dark. Suddenly, ten men are walking your way? Does faith make you feel more safe or less safe? Again, the the answer might seem a bit obvious, and yet I wanted to share with you a, a quotation. I wanted to share with you the answer that outspoken atheist and author Christopher Hitchens gave when presented with that scenario. He said this, just to stay within the letter B, I have actually had that experience in Belfast, Beirut. Bombay, Belgrade, Bethlehem, and Baghdad, and in each case I can say absolutely that I would feel immediately threatened if I thought that the group of men approaching me in the dusk were coming from a religious observance. Now if you're any sort of geography buff, you might recognize that list of cities, as sort of the the centers for a random sampling of various religions throughout the world. You've got Judaism represented, and Islam, and Hinduism, and Eastern Orthodoxy, and Roman Catholicism. You might also know that, that those cities have, over the course of history, often been hotbeds for bitter conflict, and even violence that is caused by those deeply held religious beliefs. In other words, these are places where people have taken up arms against one another because of religious differences. And so Christopher Hitchens' point is to say that if you look for the evidence, you will find just as many reasons to think that faith will make you less safe as you find for thinking that faith will make you more safe. Well, we might respond but that's not like my religion. That's not my faith. I'm I'm not an extremist. I'm not a radical. I don't take up arms against people who differ from me. And we might even grant Christopher Hitchens a point in that Jesus himself isn't making the point that any faith or every faith will bring value to the world. In fact, he says just the opposite. He describes faith and religion that adds no value to the world. Yes, there is salt, that is good and does what it's supposed to do, but there's also salt that has lost its saltiness and deserves to be thrown out and trampled. Yes, there is light that is put up on a stand so that everyone in the house can see, but there is also light that is hidden and kept away from people so that they can't see. So yes, we we can, in theory, say, well, that's not my religion. My religion is different from that. My faith is different from that but do we really know why? Can we explain what makes it different? In the second section of these verses, Jesus gives us that explanation. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law, until everything is accomplished. So what's the difference between a a religion or a faith that adds value to the world and one that does not? Well, realize off the bat that, that religion and faith have a tendency to kind of go in one of two directions. First of all, there are religions that gravitate toward what we might call the letter of the law. These are religions and faiths who would insist that every single rule, every single command that God has given us needs to be followed. Followed. They will insist on strict obedience to every rule found in the Bible or in any other holy book for that matter. And they will say that, that your relationship with God, your standing before him, is in some way connected to and in some way dependent on your obedience to those rules. In the other direction, you've got religions that would maybe gravitate toward what we might call the spirit of the law. These religions are much more relaxed much more easygoing. They'll say it doesn't matter whether or not you follow all of the rules of the Bible, and even if it did, God loves everyone no matter what anyway. And so what's most important is not so much whether God calls something right or whether he calls it wrong, but simply that we we all treat each other well, that we all give each other love and support. Now just to illustrate how natural it is for religion and faith to go in one of those two directions, I'm guessing that as I describe those two, just about everyone in the room found one or the other to be more attractive and more appealing and yet i want us to think for just a moment about the effect that those types of religions would have in the world first of all religions that are that are the letter of the law have a tendency to put a very sharp divide between insiders and outsiders they have a tendency to create a lot of animosity and a lot of hostility between the insiders and the outsiders, and I, and I think we can understand why. I mean, even in a family or even in a classroom of students, if you've got one student who is dutifully trying to obey each and every law and then you've got other students who are not only not trying to but seem to be getting away with it, what's the attitude between them going to be? right? And so, so religions that follow the letter, the letter of the law have a tendency to create a lot of anger, a lot of condescension toward the world around them. And so in one sense, we might say that they they have the truth, they have a light, but that light is kept hidden, that light is buried. It doesn't give light to everyone else out there, and it it certainly doesn't draw them to that light. On the other hand, religions that are more spirit of the law fit right in in the world, right? They're much more open, much more welcoming to the world around them. They blend right in, but, but ultimately they bring nothing to the world that the world does not already have. The values and principles that they hold to are no different from the values and principles of the world, and so they are like that salt that has lost all of its saltiness. They fit right in, but they bring no benefit. Thankfully, Jesus tells us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is neither one. Jesus, first of all, speaks to those who would be spirit of the law people, and he says, I have not come to abolish the law, In fact, when it comes to the law, every single I must be dotted and every single T must be crossed. God will not, God cannot in any way lower his standards to make it easier for us to obey his law. But then God immediately turns around and and speaks to the people who are the letter of the law people, and he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but not so that you could fulfill it, so that I could fulfill it. So that I could be the one who dotted every I and crossed every T. So that your relationship with God would be completely dependent not on your obedience to the law, but on his obedience to the law. So that the perfection and the righteousness that each one of us needs to stand before God would not be some impossible demand foisted upon us, but but a completely free gift that is given to us. And we think that through a little bit, and, and we think about the kind of life that will result... From someone being fueled by the gospel of Jesus. As we watch the world at times go its own way, as we watch them reject what God calls good and even embrace what God calls evil, yes, on the one hand, we will realize that we have something far better. We have the beauty and the wisdom of God's way. Always different, unchanging, always both preserving and Pleasing, that, that salt that stays salty. But then at the same time, as we interact with the world, our, our demeanor, our, our attitude, our confidence, our value and worth as human beings is not, not based on the fact that we think we've lived up to some sort of standard, but it's only and always connected to Jesus. Which means that even on our worst days, we don't lose one shred of confidence in when, where we stand before God And it also means that even on our best days, we don't gain even one shred of condescension or superiority toward the world around us. We have that light, but it's a light that we want all to see. It's a light that will draw a crowd. So two bits of encouragement for you as we finish up today. First of all, all of us would have to admit that there have been times when we have been too quick to fit in, and too quick to separate or criticize the world around us. Salt that has lost its saltiness or, or light that is kept hidden and kept away from the world. Whether we've been trying to cling to every letter of the law of God or, or trying to cut corners with the law of God, there's one thing that none of us have done, none of us have kept the law of God, which means that we need to live in the gospel. We need to put ourselves in contact with the gospel, and the more that we do, the more that we are reminded that our standing before God is dependent on his obedience, not ours, the more we will be exactly what Jesus wants us to be, salt and light. And then secondly, as you live in that gospel and as it continues to transform you into salt and light, get out there and let it shine. Get out there and and apply that salt liberally. In fact, it's one of the key components of our vision for our church for the next three years, that we want to open more doors to our community, that we want these church doors to be open more often and in more ways so that people can come in, and we want the doors of our people to be open more often and in more ways so that they can go out to be salt and to be light. So what do you do? Well, I know it's a little bit hard this time of year, but actually get to know your neighbors when you have a chance. Attend a sporting event or a play or a concert at a local school. Go out and enjoy the rest of Scandihuvian Winterfest, what's left of it. I mean, it's not like the Packers are playing today anyways, right? So we don't have to be glued to the TV all day long. However you decide to do it, go out and, and let that light actually shine. And here's why. Because, yes, Jesus promises us that, that the gospel itself will always be appalling He also promises us that the effects of the gospel will always be appealing. But here's the beauty of Jesus' design. The thing that the world finds so, so appealing can only be caused by what the world finds so, so appalling. And the beauty of that is that as we go out and let our light shine, not only will people be drawn to it, but maybe, just maybe, they'll even want to know. Where do you get that? How do you live Like that, what makes you tick? And then we'll have an opportunity to share that gospel with them. To share that gospel with the goal, not simply of of making the world a better place, but of our Father in heaven being their Father in heaven, and of our eternal home also being their eternal home. Jesus says, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Does our faith make the world a better place? Well, yeah. But it does a whole lot more than that. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.